Iowa is over, and here comes New Hampshire. As the second primary of the 2020 Democratic presidential campaign kicks off, we will give you coverage of what might happen, and then, of course, what happened after the fact. Welcome to the second in our primary livecast series, as we're breaking down and following the Democratic primary as it plays out live here in 2020. I'm Dr. Nolte, and this is Blind Politics. And welcome, podcast listeners, to another thrilling bonus episode of Blind Politics. I'm Dr. Nolte from the Robertson School of Government at Regent University. Once again, views expressed in this podcast do not represent those of either Regent University or the Robertson School. Please remember you can rate and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. That includes Spotify, by the way. And I think also Google Podcasts and, and a couple of others, depending on which podcast app you use. Ratings in iTunes, particularly the five-star kind, help us, so please leave those five-star ratings. It is very much appreciated. So this episode is coming to you recorded from my house. Normally I record in my office, but now I'm at home. And I'm recording as we're about 15 minutes or so out from probably the beginning of live coverage in most of the networks. Polls are going to close at 8 o'clock. It's about 7.15 as I'm launching this thing. And what I'm going to do is give you some thoughts going into New Hampshire, thoughts going into the results, and then as results start to trickle in, I will give you some of my feedback along the way. So as we're coming into tonight, the big story is really three things happening at the same time. Number one, the rise of Pete Buttigieg. Number two, the decline of Joe Biden. And number three, the fact that the current frontrunner to win New Hampshire and the person who got the most votes in Iowa is a self-proclaimed democratic socialist who apparently, if stories are to be believed, honeymooned in the Soviet Union. Yes, of course, we're talking about Bernie Sanders. So things are just a little bit more crazy than we were expecting. You know, if you'd asked me three or four months ago, I would have said by this point, we would have been starting to inch our way toward a Biden coronation. Now he came in fourth in Iowa. There's some speculation that he, in fact, will come in fifth in New Hampshire. And it's really hard to see with those two results how he wins, even if he does win South Carolina, how he recovers from that. So does that make Bernie the frontrunner? Well, yes and no. If Bernie wins tonight, which all polling indicates that he probably will, then we have a situation in which, you know, he's won the first two contests. And he'll be going into Nevada with a lot of momentum. Sanders is already seen as somebody who performed fairly well in Nevada. And then you've got South Carolina, and South Carolina is probably the best chance that the moderates have to get some momentum back, to unify behind somebody and get some momentum. Is that going to be Pete Buttigieg? Well, uh, we'll have to see. Buttigieg is more moderate in tone than Sanders, but how much more moderate is he on actual issue positions? The other person who bears watching tonight is Amy Klobuchar. Klobuchar, apparently, according to some polling, has been surging again. You know, I personally think she's the strongest candidate Democrats have in terms of electability right at this particular moment. I think she is the person that, at this point, Trump is probably wanting to face least of all of the Democrats running. She's not been pulled too far to the left. She has come across as very moderate in tone. 
give you a classic example of this recently. Someone asked Bernie Sanders if there was any place in the party for pro-life Democrats, and he said no. Pro-choice is, to him, a deal-breaker. Now, this is interesting because a couple of years ago, after the 2016 election, Sanders got into a lot of hot water for endorsing a pro-life Democrat named Heath Mello for mayor of Omaha. And so Bernie apparently has been chastened by this, has learned that he needs to constantly buff his woke Twitter progressive credentials on the social issues. Amy Klobuchar, when asked the same question, is there a place for pro-life voters in the Democratic Party, said yes, of course, and said that she would try to find common ground with them on reducing adoptions and touted her work in the bipartisan adoption caucus. Does this mean that she's any less stridently pro-choice in terms of actual policy? No, not necessarily. But tone matters and emphasis matters. And so there's a big difference in terms of courting sort of middle-of-the-road moderate voters between someone who wants to excommunicate anybody who has a different view on abortion and somebody who says, well, you know, certainly we we will try to find some common ground and and find some areas where we can work together. That's probably going to hurt Klobuchar with the woke Twitter voters, but it will help with, I think, two of the key demographics, which are African-American women and suburban women. This is going to be a women-driven primary, ultimately, but it's going to be driven by probably women who aren't really woke Twitter people. These are not Women's March folks. These are women who, for a lot of personal reasons, don't like Donald Trump. They don't like his style. They don't like the way he portrays himself. They don't like many of his actions. And so it's not specifically policy-focused It's more kind of a temperament thing. And Klobuchar really hits that demographic. So watching how she does tonight will be indicative because if she's the nominee, that becomes a problem for Trump. If it's somebody else, if it's somebody like Bernie, somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who's going to try to sort of beat the drum on women's issues, but I would say is is much less likely to really hit that sweet spot, then uh, we're looking at a very different situation. And speaking of Elizabeth Warren. This is essentially, I would say, her Waterloo. If she does not win or come in second or come in a very solid, strong third in New Hampshire, she's probably done. And honestly, I think she needs to do better than third. I think she needs to be in second because New Hampshire is about the best state you could possibly ask for if you are Elizabeth Warren. She is the senator from the state next door. She has exposure in that media market because they're getting ad buys from the Boston media market. And so I would say either she wins, she comes in second, or it's really hard to see a viable path for her moving forward. Now, the question is, if she ends up pulling out, if she ends up suspending her campaign, which could happen here fairly soon if she underperforms in New Hampshire, where do her supporters go? Are more of her supporters going to go to Bernie because they like the economic aspect, or are they going to go to Klobuchar? because they want a female candidate, a female nominee. It's not 100% clear to me how that goes. But I do think, particularly if she finishes below Amy Klobuchar in a state that should be tailor-made for Warren, then we're going to be seeing the end of her campaign fairly soon, or at least we should be. Other factors, Mike Bloomberg, there's some speculation that he's going to overperform, despite the fact that he hasn't invested heavily in New Hampshire. If he performs strongly, if he's kind of even anywhere in the top five or six, you know, that's something that should make us sit up and take note. He's been heavily hitting some of the later states and really trying to build some delegate stuff for him, uh, himself there, some support in states like that. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily rule him out either, although he seems like a particularly bad fit for the current moment in the Democratic Party. 
Andrew Yang is probably going to be out here soon, which I think is unfortunate. He's an interesting candidate. Like Klobuchar, he also had a little bit more of a nuanced statement on abortion. He's pro-choice, but he came out and said, you know, we shouldn't be celebrating abortion. We should be getting to the point of, you know, recognizing that this is a tragedy and, you know, celebrating children, celebrating families, or he called universal human values. You know, this is something that if you're old enough to remember the 1990s was sort of the typical Democratic line at the time, but it certainly is something that has drawn the ire of Planned Parenthood and other pro-choice activists onto Yang at this point. But it seems like he's having a little bit of his honey badger moment at this point. He just doesn't care. There was also a debate discussion about structural racism, and he said you really can't legislate that away because it's a systemic societal thing, which again is, is not necessarily going to play all that well for some Democratic voters. As I speculated in the... Iowa caucus discussion with Nick Higgins, which you can find as a previous episode of Blind Politics. I sort of wonder if Yang isn't thinking about positioning himself to run third party in case Bernie Sanders is the nominee. And that's an interesting question to say what happens to him. How does that go? Where does he get voters from? Because I think as an indie, he could possibly cross that threshold of 10%. There'd be a lot of votes for him possibly in California because not a lot of people are going to vote for Trump, but some of them might not be okay with Bernie. There could be a lot of votes for him in some other areas that are sort of more Trump skeptical, but but not supportive of Bernie either. You know, thinking of Fairfax County, Virginia, that's an area where there are a lot of anti-Trump voters, but they're not pro-Bernie either. So it, it will be interesting to see what happens. I do think if Bernie's the nominee, we're going to get a third party candidate. It's just a question of who, what niche they try to appeal to, and you know how much funding they can get. So I don't I don't actually foresee a Trump-Bernie one-on-one. I think somebody's going to try to run in between the two of them. And so that will be interesting to watch if we get to a position where it looks like Bernie's going to be the nominee. So those are just some initial thoughts in terms of New Hampshire. The other thing I think we can be pretty confident of is that New Hampshire will probably have its votes tabulated here pretty quickly tonight. This is not going to be a an Iowa-type situation. They're going to be probably having the votes counted quickly. They're probably going to gloat about how fast they get it done and how quickly they know who the winner is. If I were if I were New Hampshire, I would I would be certainly taking a victory lap because the chances that New Hampshire really will be first, that it's not going to be New Hampshire and Iowa, it's just going to be New Hampshire in 2024, I would say is pretty, pretty strong. There's a strong likelihood of that. And that's going to have interesting implications for the 2024 presidential race, which hopefully if blind politics is still around in roughly 2023, we can start talking about that then. All right, that's all I have for now in terms of the sort of pre-results programming here for tonight. So next time you hear my voice, it will be a little bit later in the night for me, although no time will have passed for you, and we'll know more about what is happening in New Hampshire. So I'll check back in a couple of hours. Some exit polling from CNN. And this is an interesting stat. So in 2020 in New Hampshire, 39% of Democratic primary voters identified as moderate or conservative. This is up from 31% in 2016. 21% are identifying as very liberal. That is down from 26% in 2016. So we have an uptick in moderate to conservative voters and a a decline in the number of very liberal voters. Somewhat liberal is holding kind of steady. It was at 40%, is now at 42%. Actually, no, I I flipped that. So it was at 42% in 2016, and it looks like it's about 40% in 
in 2020, but that's pretty close. So what we're seeing is, you know, an uptick in moderate and conservatives. And I suspect this is because there's really no primary on the Republican side. Remember, New Hampshire has independent voters that can vote in either primary. And so what we're seeing probably here is an uptick in some of those independents who identify as moderate or conservative going in the Democratic primary. This is probably bad news for Bernie Sanders. It may not be enough to carry him to a not first place finish. It might not be enough to, to sink him, but it indicates to me that New Hampshire voters are probably gonna to gravitate toward one of the moderate options. The other thing is it's close to eight o'clock here so polls have closed in segments of the state. We are getting some early reports. And it looks like Klobuchar is, in fact, performing very well with very early returns. It's Sanders, Klobuchar, Buttigieg are the top three. If Klobuchar comes out of New Hampshire in second place, that's going to shake up the race big time. That is going to be very interesting because the pressure for establishment Democrats to rally around her as somebody who did well in Iowa and then very well in New Hampshire, very well in a primary state is going to be pretty intense. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on as we're moving forward, as we're looking towards some of these future races, South Carolina, etc. So, and then of course, what complicates things for Klobuchar is Bloomberg, right? The the possible Bloomberg death star of, of finances that could so, sort of, you know, cut into her appeal. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how things play out if in fact those results hold up. If somehow Klobuchar is able to overtake Bernie as the results move forward. And she's leading in Concord, uh, which is part of New Hampshire that's already reported with Buttigieg in second, Sanders in third. But if she somehow pulls it out and she pulls out a, a win, that that is a complete game change. That is something that would basically reconfigure the race almost immediately. The pressure on Biden to drop would be pretty intense. And you could very easily see a, a, essentially a three-way race between Sanders, Klobuchar, and Buttigieg moving forward, which would be fascinating. It would be fascinating to watch how all that plays out particularly as move into South Carolina and towards Super Tuesday. So that's all we have right for the moment. And I will report back to you, podcast listeners, as we get more information. So polls are now closed, and we have a major development as Andrew Yang has suspended his 2020 presidential campaign. This is probably not a huge surprise. Yang was performing sort of below a lot of his polling and I think it's pretty clear coming out of Iowa and New Hampshire that he's not going to get where he wants. I think this is sort of unfortunate. Yang had some interesting things to say. He definitely had some well-defined beliefs. You know, some of his ideas were interesting. And unfortunately, this is not a cycle for a candidate with ideas. This is a cycle that's uh, defined more by how strident you can be about hating the other side. And that's not necessarily great for a candidate like Yang who wants to come in and interject new ideas into the conversation. So I think he's got a future in politics. It'll be interesting to see where that is, but his presidential campaign is over. And so as of right now, we have Sanders with 28% of the vote, Buttigieg at 23, and Klobuchar at 20. So they're very closely tied for second and third. It'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out over the rest of the night, but it does look at this point as though Bernie Sanders is still in the lead and is going to, as expected, win New Hampshire. More as we get information. So it's about 9.25 now, and we're about half in. Sanders is right around 28, Buttigieg at 23, and Klobuchar is around 19 or 20 percent. Exit polls from New York Times have also dropped, and it looks like Klobuchar is 
really dominating among college-educated women in New Hampshire. That is a demographic that had previously broken hard for Elizabeth Warren. So as we're looking at these results, as we're looking at what is almost certainly going to be a top three of Sanders, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar in that order, or in some order close to that, as Biden and Warren are distantly back, Biden, I think, is at eight-ish, Warren is at 10-ish, neither is enough for delegates in New Hampshire, you've got to start imagining that the pressure is going to be on for Warren. And then the question becomes, where does her support go? Does it go to Bernie? Does it go to Klobuchar? It looks at the moment like a lot of it's going to Klobuchar, which is interesting in and of itself. Michael Bennett also has dropped out. Bennett was another person sort of trying to run in that more moderate lane. He is out. And there were false reports that Tom Steyer was dropping out. That has now been confirmed to be false. That wouldn't have made sense for him to drop out as he's been advertising heavily, heavily, heavily in South Carolina. And so that is kind of going to be, I think, for him, uh, his Waterloo. So at this point, we don't know who's going to win. And I'll keep checking in and, you know, providing some updates here as it, as it clarifies. Although it still looks like Bernie, there's some territory out apparently that's not great for him. And so we'll, we'll kind of have to see how that moves as the night develops. But what we can say is that this is a disastrous night for both Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Biden is going to kind of put his chips on South Carolina. It's pretty much win South Carolina and win it big or bust for Biden at this point. On the other hand, I'm not sure where Warren goes from here. I don't expect her to suspend her campaign tonight, but I would not be surprised if we see her out either before South Carolina or shortly after South Carolina. So that is kind of where we are at this particular moment. Like I said, it's almost 930 and as the night develops, uh, we may have a couple more updates here, particularly if there are any dramatic shifts with these numbers as they're coming out. Okay, so now it's about mm, 10.45. Sanders has increased his lead a little bit over where we were about an hour ago. However, most of what is out is kind of exurban Boston. So parts of New Hampshire that are very close to the border with Massachusetts, and that seems to be the bulk of what is still out. It's hard to say where that's going to break, but we would expect probably those are more suburban areas, a little bit more upscale, and so we might see some good numbers for Buttigieg and Klobuchar out of that. Buttigieg is probably the most likely to be within striking distance, so there's a possibility he ends up winning, and that makes things a very interesting if, in fact, moving forward, we start to see a three-way race between Sanders, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar, we're really starting to see kind of the ideological lines clarify. Klobuchar really becomes the candidate of the moderate lane, you know, with appeal to those suburban voters that Democrats won in 2018 that really put them over the edge of taking the House. Sanders, of course, is representing sort of the bold progressive wing, the squad, you know, the sort of the Jeremy Corbyn wing of the Democratic Party, for those who remember our British elections podcast. And then Buttigieg would be in the middle, kind of a more scaled down version of Sanders' policies, but with more the kind of moderate appearance and moderate style. So, you know, kind of more in that Obama lane, although certainly not with some of the traditional historical 
aspects of the Obama candidacy, you know, some, some very different historical aspect in the sense, of course, of Obama being the first African-American nominee of one of the major parties, and Buttigieg would, if he won the nomination, be the first openly gay nominee of one of the parties. It's important to note that Sanders underperformed where he was at in 2016, and is on pace to get the lowest percentage of any candidate who has ever won New Hampshire. That is mostly interesting because, you know, indicates that maybe there's a hard ceiling to his support. And so if we start to see consolidation, if we start to see things really consolidate into a three-way race, that may cap Sanders' support and may mean that there's a lot of sort of opening for people to drift to one of these other two candidates. A couple other quick notes. It looks like Deval Patrick is going to drop out tomorrow. If you did not know that Deval Patrick was running for president, don't feel bad. He only got in a couple of months ago. Former governor of Massachusetts, and he was currently the only major African-American candidate still in the race. So him dropping out basically means that there there will be a white nominee. Andrew Yang is, is also gone. So in terms of that identity politics aspect and diversity aspect, you know, that, that will not be something that is reflected. You know, I think of if those are the top three, and if in fact, you know, Biden starts to fade, it will be very interesting to see where African-American voters go, which of those three candidates is most likely to pick them up. Klobuchar, Sanders, Buttigieg. I think each of them has some possible, possible strengths. Each of them also has some weaknesses with that community. And so maybe we'll kind of look at that as we start looking at South Carolina. And it's also possible that Biden still sort of holds his support there. And if he's going to come back from this, if he's going to come back and have a real shot at moving forward, you know, being the nominee, it's going to have to be on the strength of the African-American vote. Keep in mind, the two states that have voted are two of the widest states in the union, not quite the widest. I think that's still Vermont, but they're up there. And, you know, that plays a role when you're talking about the Democratic Party because the primary electorate is still fairly different. So we're kind of close to closing up tonight. Probably... One more update, if we can get some final numbers out of those exurban Boston regions that we're waiting on that are still out. And my hope is that we will actually be able to call the winner tonight definitively, although at this point it looks like it's going to be Sanders. Some prognosticators have called things for Sanders a while ago, and so I'd say that's still the most likely outcome, but just want to see if we can get a little bit more in from some of those areas that are close to Boston. And so we're going to pause for a few minutes and um, come back a little bit later on just once we see those precincts trickle in. But at this point, I would say the most likely outcome is that we're going to see Sanders, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar as one, two, and three. And then we'll we'll come back with a wrap-up in a few minutes. All right, and only a few minutes have passed now, and we do have an official call from Decision Desk, which is one of the main election tracking sites. They are calling the primary for Bernie Sanders, and Dave Wasserman had called for Bernie about an hour ago. So I'm going to go ahead and call it for Bernie Sanders, and it looks like he is going to be declared the winner, although it's going to be close between him and Buttigieg and Klobuchar in a strong third. So basically what this indicates is that there, there's a huge gap between the three frontrunners who are kind of tightly bunched. Sanders is going to probably be somewhere between 26 and 28. Buttigieg is going to be somewhere between 23 and 24. Klobuchar is going to be somewhere between 18 and 20 in terms of percentage. The next closest would be Warren and Biden, who are at 10 and 8 respectively. Right, So there's a huge gap between the top three and the next two down. 
And that tells me that sort of Warren and Biden each have maybe one or two more primaries. If one of them doesn't win South Carolina, they're probably going to both be out. And so I think by the time we get to Super Tuesday, we could be down to a three-horse race, unless, of course, Mike Bloomberg is still in. And so the important thing to keep in mind with Bloomberg is that he's really focused on Super Tuesday. So we could end up seeing a race that looks uh, at Super Tuesday, like Sanders, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and then with Bloomberg sort of coming in as the fourth wheel. Although, if his poll numbers don't hold up between now and then, he could conceivably suspend his campaign even, you know, sort sort of fairly early on. But, you know, I would say... Bloomberg's probably smiling about this, a, a narrow win for Bernie that shows that Bernie's capped, but no clear front runner among the others. You know, Buttigieg, I think Bloomberg is going to come after hard at the next debate in terms of lack of experience. You know, I expect to hear something from Bloomberg about, yeah, Pete, it's nice that you are talking about how you were a mayor. You could fit, you know, 50 to 100 of South Bend in the city of which I was mayor. So those types of of lines from Bloomberg are probably going to be coming out. And, you know, I I just expect that Bloomberg is going to spend a lot of time hammering on Buttigieg and look for Klobuchar to to pile on as well. So the next debate will be interesting. Most of the debates have not been very interesting because I I have a feeling everybody's going to try to pile on Mayor Pete. In terms of Bernie, you know, this is probably a good enough result for most of his supporters to hang in there. It's not probably what they're hoping for. It's not the dominant win in New Hampshire that we were sort of expecting after that narrow win in Iowa. And so it really does look like he and and Buttigieg are neck and neck, with Klobuchar really in a position to start consolidating, particularly if Warren drops out. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see her drop out soon. I would suspect that a lot of her support is, in fact, going to go to Klobuchar. Those college-educated women are probably going to be Klobuchar's base. And so... As we're moving forward, as we're moving into Nevada, which has a large Hispanic Latino population, as we're moving into South Carolina, which has a large African-American population, where are these different minority communities going to go? Where are their votes going to go? You know, traditionally, these are areas where Biden's had a lot of support. Are they going to stick with him or are they going to drift to somebody else? And if they do, is that going to be Klobuchar? Is that going to be Buttigieg? Is that going to be Bernie? I think Bernie does not really have a history of speaking to that audience particularly. Actually, I would say n- none of those three candidates is, is really particularly known for, the, for their outreach there. But I think, you know, each of them have some unique challenges and some unique strengths. Buttigieg has had really terrible outreach thus far, but could try to, try to sort of play the, the faith, faith angle, you know, particularly from that more Episcopalian tradition that he comes from. He could try to do, do some outreach to some of the black churches from that Um and we'll see how that goes. Klobuchar is the most moderate. I would say she's the most practical. She's going to be able to go in and say the argument that she's going to have the best chance to beat Trump. And I think that's probably her strongest argument at this case. I can beat Trump. You know, I can win over enough voters to actually make this happen and, and achieve practical results. So that practicality is going to be the appeal for her. That's also probably the case Bloomberg is going to be making. You know, I think Bernie's case for winning over minority voters is primarily focused on economic policy and the economic stuff stuff that he wants to try to do. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I, I personally think that, you know, everybody's talking about Bloomberg as having this negative perception because of stop and frisk, and he's not going to do very well in the African-American community, but he's got a lot of money. He can spend a lot of money on advertising. He actually has had to try to win African-American votes before when he was running for mayor of New York. He didn't do spectacularly well at it, but he did well enough to win. 
even as, as somebody who was not a Democrat. And so, you know, he had, he, of the candidates that are left, has the most experience of actually campaigning, you know, in African-American neighborhoods in, you know, and, and w- trying to win over voters in that community. That's not something that the other candidates have done to the same degree. Maybe Klobuchar to some extent. Not really Bernie Sanders. Not, not so much Buttigieg. So is that going to matter? Or are we going to see a Biden comeback? You know, Biden, if you're into betting markets, you know, things like in-trade, Biden's probably a pretty cheap buy right now. And so if you want to play play the market a little bit, spend a little bit of money on Biden, hold your shares of Biden. And if you've already got shares of Biden, I would say at least hold them until after South Carolina. Because if he wins South Carolina, there's, there's a, you know, a chance that he gets back in it. It is important to remember that very few delegates have been awarded at this point. And so particularly if we're looking at a very scattered field, you don't get very many winner-take-all states in the Democratic primary. So people could be playing to get a pile of delegates for quite some time. All right, and with that analysis, I think we're going to call it a wrap for tonight. So what we're looking at is, appears to be a fairly narrow win for Bernie Sanders with Buttigieg and Klobuchar close behind. And you have to kind of look at that as the one, two, three at this point. Bernie and, and Mayor Pete as sort of 1A, 1B in terms of who's the front runner. You know, they're very, very close, neck and neck in these two primaries. And then Klobuchar as a, a sort, of, sort of a strong third option with the opportunity to consolidate as some of these folks are dropping out, with the opportunity to possibly try to scoop up some of the, the voters. And, and really, I think she's got a window now to consolidate the moderate lane and establish herself as the candidate for those who are concerned about pragmatic electability rather than sort of a more ideological slant. So for her, that means positioning herself as somebody who is is a little bit more moderate on just about every issue across the board, but not so far on a limb in a moderate direction that she's going to start to bleed some supporters from the somewhat liberal category. So she needs to clean up among moderate and conservatives and then kind of be at least second among somewhat liberals. Buttigieg, that somewhat liberal category that's in the middle that we talked about in the exit poll that was about 40% of the voters today, he needs to consolidate there. Bernie, you know, obviously he's probably going to dominate voters who self-identify as very liberal. And he needs for the rest of the field to be scattered as possible for as long as possible so that he can make the argument that he is winning the popular vote, that he's received the most votes, and that he needs to be the nominee. So for Bernie, it's going to be a long game. And Mike Bloomberg is just going to spend ridiculous amounts of money He's already poured a couple hundred million dollars into the campaign, and he hasn't even been on the ballot yet. So it's going to be fascinating to see how all of that plays out. All right. And with that said, again, please remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. You can find us on Facebook, Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte, Instagram at Blind Politics, and Twitter at Blind P-O-L Nolte. So anyway, with that being said, Thanks again for listening, and for Blind Politics, this is Dr. Olty, signing off.